teach you is that you should pray that they should do tshuva, that they should repent from their wickedness. Then, if they actually repent, then there will no longer be wicked people around because they will have repented. Indeed, he listens to his wife's advice. He, he davens for them. And they end up doing teshuva. Another story with Burya and her ability to understand second very well and also had to answer people sharply. There was a tzeduki who comes to Burya and says, says that the barren woman who does not have children, she will be runny. She will be happy, joyful. Because she didn't give birth to children, that's why she's happy. She said to him, Look at the end of the Pasuk and then you'll understand what's going on. Because it says, it says that the children of the of the uh, the desolate woman will be more than the children of the married woman. So what does this mean? Amar Hashem. That's what the Pasuk says. That, this is what Hashem says. Ella Maya Karas. When we say barren over here, what exactly do we mean when we say barren? Loyalda, Rani, Knesses Yisrael the nation of the congregation of Israel, that is compared to a woman, Akara, is a barren woman. Why does it mean barren woman in this context? That there will not be born to the Knesset Yisrael, to the congregation of Israel, people who will be going straight to hell like you. That's how she understood the Pasuk. Another story with a Tzaduki involving a Pasuk. He says to Rebbe Bo, it says in Tehillim, at one point in Tehillim, David Amalek describes his, his joy, not his joy, I'm sorry, Mizmar, it's the, um, the prayer that David Amalek says when he's running away from his son Avshalom, when his son Avshalom is rebelling against him. And we also read in Tehillim, we also read a chapter of Tehillim that David wrote when he was running away from Shaul, from the king, and he was hiding in a cave. Which incident occurred first? Clearly, the one that occurred first is one where he's hiding from Shaul, and not the one where he's running away from his son, Avshalom, which is a rebellion after he's already become king. The incident with Shaul happened originally, happened early, at an earlier point in time. So why didn't David Melch write about this one first? So Rebbe answers the Tzaduki, You do not understand Smuchin. The idea of Smuchin is like this. There is one of the ways for which we learn out halacha from the Torah is if there are two different topics that are placed together in close proximity, we understand that the reason why they're in close proximity is to teach us something one to the other topic, right? So what he says is like this, you don't understand like that because you don't believe in this whole idea of drushes, of you know, having the, the specific way of understanding the Torah that we're giving to us by, by Harsinai, by Moshe Rabbeinu, exactly how we understand the Torah, right? That's, you as a Tzaduki don't understand like that. So therefore you have a problem. Why does David Amalek speak about the story with Avshalom before he speaks about the story with Shaul? If chronologically it should be the opposite. However, Ananda Darshinun Smuchim, we actually do understand that we're able to take one pus one one Pasuk in the Torah that's dealing with a topic, and then a Pasuk that's close by dealing with a, a, a topic, and then we can say but from a proximity you can learn out something from there. So therefore, Lo Kashalon, there's nothing strange to us. The Amr Rabbiochan asks, how do we know that we darshan smuchim, that we in general say that if something is close to something else that's going to teach us that you should learn out something from its proximity. So that, that teaches us, this is the, the source that we should darshan, that when there are two two sort two things in the Torah that are in close proximity to each other, they're teaching us something. Maybe one of the most famous cases of a smuchim is 
when the Torah tells us that you cannot do malacha on Shabbos, you can't do forbidden labors on Shabbos, and then it tells us that in close proximity to the laws of building the Mishkan. And that teaches us that the 39 malachas, the things that are forbidden to be done on Shabbos, are the things which are involved in the building of the Mishkan. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think that does complicate things. Yes, thank you. But I think... I think it is an interesting question. As it happens, uh, can, 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 can you repeat the question for those of us who aren't in the room? Yeah, okay. So the question was like this. Generally speaking, when you bring a Pasuk from Tehillim, it's not necessarily going to be a source that will then tell us that this is a, a uh, halacha, which is really based on a Torah thing, based on you know something that's from the five books of Moshe, which has a higher significance. So if you want to figure out, well, how do you know that there's this halachic principle that you can learn out from two topics that are in close proximity that comes to teach you something. Well, if you're bringing a, a, a source in Tehillim, that's not the best source for that. You would want to bring a source that comes from the Torah itself. So uh, that's a good question, but I think we'll leave that for next master, next time around. Okay. Um, so now the Gemara then goes to its point. So what is the smuchim over here, right? How does that answer the question? So Lama Nismacha Parshas Avshalom, the Parshas So if you look at it, the in, in Tehillim, the story in, when David Melch is talking about him running away from Avshalom is some is right next to the story of Goig Umagig, of um, of Umagig, which is when there's going to be the 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 Melchama of Goig Umagig, that when when Mashiach comes, exactly when that's going to be and exactly how that's going to play out, we don't know. But the idea of Goig Umagig that people will be rebelling against Hashem. If someone would say to you, in other words, the way Rashi explains, somebody's going to read the story of the Gagumagag and say, impossible. There can never be servants who rebel against their master. In other words, there will never be people who rebel against Hashem in a way that they try to fight against Hashem. So then you'll say back to him, is it normal for a son to rebel against his father? The same way that a son can rebel against his father, that Avshalom can rebel against his father, David, so too, these servants can rebel against Hashem, and you cannot actually take what the what we understand to be this this nevuah, this prophecy about what will happen in the days of Gog and Magog, and say that we should ignore that. No, nope, that also can be true. What's that which it says in Mishlei in Proverbs? Right, the famous words in Eishes Chayel. Right, so her mouth is open with wisdom. And opens wisdom, and the the um, the Torah of Chesed of kindness, Alishain, is on her tongue. Kenegin me, who is this referring to? Right. So the Gemara does not answer; it's referring to your wife. The Gemara says, Amar Shlomo, Mikra loy Amru David. Of this Mikra, this this pasuk that I was talking about in Proverbs, I was speaking, I was referring to my father David Hamelach. Why? He dwelt in five different planes of existence. For Amar Shira. And he said, Shira in all, five, in all five of these planes, he said Shira. I know this does not mean a literal Shira that he said at those times, but that he said Shira in reference to five different planes of existence. He existed in the womb of his mother, Shira, and he said Shira. So it says, my soul will bless Hashem and all of my, and all of my uh, insides, the name, his holy name, right? So it sounds like even when I'm in the inside, I'm already blessing Hashem. He came out into the world, and he sees the stars, and he sees the mazales, the constellations. And he says, Shira again, Shira. 
which the Gemara understands that that is referring to his blessing, his blessing Hashem, who is the master of these hosts and the legions who bless, who who uh, serve to um to show to show Hashem's power. So he's giving shira to Hashem for this. Yonak he nurses from his mother's breasts. And he looks at his mother's breasts. And he says Shira at this point. He, he says a, a song of thanks to Hashem. It says, My soul shall bless Hashem. And I should not forget all of his kindness, that all of the, the goodness that he has done for me. What is this referring to? Rebo says, That Hashem made it that the human the human has breasts in the place of her bina, in the place of her intuition, and not like an animal whose whose udders are right next to the place where they go to the bathroom and right next to the place where they, they engage in, in marital relations, but rather it's way higher up. And therefore, taima mai. So therefore, um, well, sorry, so why did Hashem make it like that? So that when a, a person is nursing, they're not going to be looking at the makam erva, the place of... of um, of nakedness. The master says, why does Hashem make it like that? So that a human would not be nursing from the place which is dirty. Now we're up to the, that was the first three shiras, the first three songs that David Malak said. Now we're up to the fourth one. He saw the downfall of the wicked. And he said, that the wicked, either the sins or that the wicked people should perish from the land. And the and the uh, the evildoers will no longer exist. And at that point, he said, right? We learned this earlier also that at that point is the first time that he uses the phrase Hallelujah. At the point when he actually witnesses that wickedness can perish, then he says Hallelujah. This, this extra special praise to Hashem. Now we get to the fifth one. He sees the day of death. And he says, he sings a song. Um, my spirit, my soul, shall praise Hashem. He describes Hashem as being that this, this idea, the Gemara is explaining, is referring to the fact that he sees death. And the Gemara now is going to ask, well, what does this have to do? How do what's the comparison from this Pasuk? And how do you know that it's referring to the fact that he sees that death comes to us all? My mashma, what made us understand that this is referring to the day, the, the day of death? I'm a rabbi bar of Shila, he learned it out from the end of this Pasik. The end of that verse that's talking about Baruch Hinafshi Hashem says, Pastir Panacha shall hide your face, that it says that at the time of, of death, Hashem will hide his face, and then Taisif Rucham, he'll gather in their their um their ruach, their um their ear, literally, but the, the He'll take them away, and they will be gathered in to their, you know, to their final resting place. They were found often by Rav Shimon ben Pazi. One or the other was found often by Rav Shimon ben Pazi. And they were put together collections of Agadita, right? A lot of what we've been talking about until now is called what we call Agadita. These are not things that are meant to necessarily be understood in its literal sense. There are things in which Chazal, the, our sages, are trying to teach us something, and they're giving over these stories in a metaphorical sense to help convey a specific message. So they were putting together different Agadic statements in front of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. I mean, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. they said to him, So they bring the same Pasuk that we just understood is referring to the fact that David Amalek praised Hashem even when he was inside his mother's womb. And they say, what is the purpose of that Pasuk? What is the reference that Pasuk is making? So he said, Come and see that this is not like the characters, the character trait of a 
a human of flesh and blood, how much not so is the character trait of Hashem? In what sense? The character of a human, someone who's made out of flesh and blood. They draw a painting on the wall. They're not able to put into it a ruach, a neshama, a, the spirit of, of movement, a neshama, the ability to speak. Uh, insides and and uh, and other parts of the of the uh, inside of, of a, a person. Hashem is not like that. Hashem is able to make a tzura, make some sort of shape that's already inside another shape. The best that we can do is we cannot color something inside of something else. It's just impossible. So what can we do? We can color something on a flat. I mean, yeah, basically on a on a non. Um, non-three-dimensional way, we can, make, we can make some sort of painting, right? But then we can't put anything inside of that painting. Hashem can make a painting inside a painting and put things inside of it. And this is why Chana said, there is no holiness like Hashem. Because there is no, none beside you and there is no tzur. It's unclear what this means at this point. There's no tzur, so normally we would translate tzur as ra, right? That is unyielding and that Hashem, it will always be Right? But the Gemara is going to explain that we have a little bit of a drush over here to explain that differently. My ain't sur What does that mean that there is no tzur like Hashem? Ain't sayur kelekinu. There is no painter like Hashem. Right? To, to explain this idea that we just referenced before, that everybody else who paints, they cannot actually populate the thing that they painted and make it come alive and animated. But Hashem can do that. And not only on a flat surface, but even inside another body. My kiyem beltacha. What is this second part that says kiyem beltacha, that there is no one like you? says, this is how you should explain it. Don't read it like there is no one like you. That there is no one who swallows like you, right? It is not like the character of a character trait of Hashem. People are made out of um, blood and 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 meat, we're not like that at all. Why? We can create things with our own hands that will outlive us. Who creates us will outlive us all. So it's a completely different paradigm in terms of what Hashem can create and what we can create. And that's referenced to in this idea of levaloscha, right? That there's nothing like Hashem who can swallow what he created as opposed to us who cannot swallow what we created. This is what I... So this is what I want to say to you. David says, "Who are the, these five baruchinafshi that David said? What is he saying them about?" He was comparing Hashem and the neshama and the soul. Just like Hashem fills up the entire place of the world, so the neshama fills up the entire body. Just like Hashem sees but is not seen, so to the neshama, the soul is sees but it is, is not seen. Just like Hashem gives mazon, gives sustains the entire world, the neshama sustains the entire guf, the entire body. Just like the just like Hashem is is pure, so to the neshama, the soul is pure. Just like Hashem dwells in the inner sanctums, so too the Neshama dwells in the inside of the inside room. So he explains like this, the, the person, a, a body who has these five different qualities that are similar to the five qualities of Hashem should come and praise Hashem who is sort of the paradigm for these five qualities. 
who is like a wise person and who knows how to affect a pshara, a compromise. Me, who is like Hashem, who knows how to make compromise between who can make compromise between two tzaddikim, two righteous people. The Gemara understands that this is referring to a specific story. What story is referring to? The story of compromise that is affected between Chizkiyo, who was the king, and Yeshayo, who was the Navi. Chizkiyo said, we have a little bit of a dispute over here. I want Yeshayo to come to me because the, the prophet should come to the king. Because we find that Elio, Elio went to Achav, who was the king. Elio was the prophet. Achav was the king, and Elio went to Achav. Yeshayo, Yeshayo, who is the prophet, says, says, let the king come to me. Because we find the son of Achav, who was a king, because we see that he went to Elisha. So we see that it actually should be the opposite way around. The king should come to the prophet. What did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do to make sure that this, they would have a happy medium and meet in the middle? He caused suffering to come on Chizkiyo. And he said to he said to Yishayo, the prophet, go and visit this sick one. As it says, Chizkiyo became sick to the point of death. And Yishayo ben Amitz, the prophet comes to visit him. And he says to him, This is what Hashem, the Master of Legion, said. He told Chizkiyo, you should know, tell your people of your house, put your fears in order, because you're going to die, and not just will you die, but you will not live. What does it mean? You will die, and you will not live. You're going to die in this world, and you will not have an existence in the world to come. So Amalei, Mike Chizkiyo says, well, what's going on over here? Well, what did I do that I deserve this awful, uh, you know, end that I won't even have a, a share in the world to come? So he says, the reason why you deserve this is because you did not, you did not involve yourself, you did not involve yourself in trying to make children to carry on after you. Because I saw it with Ruach HaKodesh, I saw it with some sort of divine inspiration. The Nafimina Benin the Lomalo. I saw that I'm going to have descendants who are not good people at all. Chizkiyo has Menashe, who's one of the maybe the most awful king. Says I didn't want to have that, so therefore I decided not to get married, so I wouldn't have these children. What are you trying to make calculations with what Hashem is doing? That which you are commanded to do, you should do. That's what he'll do, right? You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. You have an obligation to have children. Don't worry about the fact that Hashem might, might end up making that child, the child might end up being a bad person. You do what you got to do. So he says to Chizkiyo, then says to Yishayo, you know what? Now that you, you convinced me that I was wrong, why don't you let me marry your daughter? Maybe the merit of myself and the merit of you, Yishayo, will come together. And it will actually change what should have happened. And we'll, I'll give birth to a son who will be a good boy, right? It won't end up being the way Hashem said it would be. He said it's too late. At this point already, the Xera has already been passed. And you are going to lose your Elam Haba for what you did. He said, seize from your Nebuah, from your prophecy, to say, and get out of here, right? So I saw that the reason why he said this language is like this. The, the, the way it works is when Hashem gives a negative prophecy, until it gets publicized, he could still retract that negative prophecy. So he was saying, Yishayo, the prophet Yishayo, please don't tell us to anybody else. Let me see if I can still get Hashem to retract that Xera, retract that, his decree on me. This is what I heard from the house of my father's father. Even if there is a sharp 
sword on your neck, shall Adam, on the neck of a man. Do not think that at this point, oh, it's too late. There's nothing that can be done. You should still cry out to Hashem. So to be fine, statements by Amorayim, that if even there is a sharp sword that is, the blade is resting on your neck, do not say that it's too late to ask for Rachamim. They will kill me, loy to him, ayachel. I will pray. Okay, so it teaches us that even at the very end, you should still pray. So at that point, Chizkiyo really wanted, really asked for Rachel, asked for Hashem to forgive him. And Hashem indeed lets him live, but then he ends up having Menashe. At, at the end, he does end up having Menashe. But that was clearly part of the plan, as we would say. Amr of Khanan, even if the Balachalemus, if someone who who knows the true, true, the truth of dreams would say to a person, Lamachar who makes tomorrow he's gonna die. I'll give him You still should be davening to Hashem to save you. As many as many chalemis, as many dreams as you have, and as many you know foolish thoughts as you have, no matter what, you should fear Hashem. Miyad after this, turns his head to the wall. The Yispal davens Hashem. What's the what is here? says Mikiris Don't understand this. Literally, they turned his head to the wall, but rather he turned to the walls of his heart. Right, symbolizing that it was a really deep prayer. It was a really emotional, heartfelt, you know, plea to be saved. We see in a Pasuk the concept of that the walls of the heart are also called kir, right? So we say kiris libi. So the fact that the walls of the heart, this concept is in Yermio, that we find that the heart itself can be described as the walls of the heart. So when we talk about Chizkiyo, praying towards the wall, what we mean is that he was praying using the walls of his heart. I believe you, I remember, Levi says, al kir. Levi says that it was not to the, to, to the wall of his heart, but rather about the wall. Right, so what does this mean? Amar lefanav. So he said, Hashem, Rebbeinu Master of the Universe, Uma Shunamis. Right, Isha says Shunamis. We're going to read about her shortly. Isha says Shunamis was the wife uh, who who built this place for Elisha, who was the prophet, the, the disciple of Elio and Avi. She built a place for him to dwell in. Right, she built him one wall for him to dwell in, and because of that, she ends up having this this special nace. She made one wall for Gitana, one small wall. Hechayes Espina and Elisha resuscitated her son when he died, right? Not resuscitated, actually brought him back to life, right? Abi Abba, but my grandfather, my grandfather, Shlomo Amalek, who, who covered the entire the entire house of Hashem with silver and gold, certainly he deserves that his child, his descendant, should be saved from this awful end. Continues and says, Remember in it, please, that which I have gone in front of you, in truth and with a full heart. And I did that which is good in your eyes. Umara then asks, This prayer that he was saying, and I did something which is good in your eyes, what is he referring to? That he made sure that we were saying earlier, right? That he made sure that the geula, that the redemption ended up being right before the tefillah at all times. And Nezachamu. At, at sunrise, right? Now, like all, all the other kings who would wake up late, Chizkiyo was another king who, like David Amalek, made sure that he daven Shemona Esrei at Neitzachama at sunrise, and he did Shema right beforehand. I believe Yom Levi says a different reason why he says there's something I did good in front of you. Shagunas Sefer Refuas, that he hid the book of Refuas, right? We have a tradition that there was a book that had Yaakov would be out of business. There was a book that had all the Refuas, all the types of, of healing that could possibly be done. And, and Chizkiyo had this book, but what happened is he hid this book because he saw that people were losing their faith in Hashem and he thought all they had to do was just 
follow whatever was written in the book and they wouldn't have to daven at all. So therefore he hid that book. So according to Levi, that's what he gets. He's telling Hashem, I did something great. I really hid that book. That was an important thing to hide because people were losing faith. We learned in a Brisa, Chizkiyah did six things. Three of these things that Chachamim were happy with him. Sages were happy that he did this. Three of these things they were not so happy. What are the three that they were happy with? He hid the book of Rafuas, the book of healing. And they were happy with that. Kites nachash nachash anachayshes. He hid the copper. Sorry, he broke the copper snake. So the copper snake was the snake that Moshe Rabbeinu made in the Torah. He made the snake because at that point there was a terrible plague, and he made the snake out of copper. He said, "Whoever looks at the snake will be healed." And then later on, I believe it's in Malachim, they started using the snake for idol worship. So then he, at that point, he broke that snake. They were happy that he broke it. Gira atzmis of almita shalchavalim. He he dragged. The, the uh, dead body of his father on a mita, on a bed made out of ropes, right? To, to, at the part of the, um, the, not the repentance process, as part of the kapara, part of the rectification for his father's soul, that he should go through this trauma. And Chum said that that was the right thing to do. He did three things they weren't happy with. He closed up the Gihon spring. He closed up the Gihon spring because the I think the Melech Asher is coming at this point to besiege him. And he did not want the, the Gichon Spring to fall into their hands and then it would be easier for them to besiege them. Therefore, he closed it up. They weren't happy with that. He cut the walls of the Hechel, of the actual base of Mekesh, the Shigram, the Melech Asher. He sent them to Melech Asher as tribute, hoping that he would not attack. They did not agree with that either. Of our Nisan and Nisan, he said that when the month of Nisan had already occurred, he made it an Iberyar. He put it, made it a 13th month year. Now, the problem is, and, and the Chacham didn't agree to this. Does Chizkiyo not agree? Right? So the question is like this. that The problem is that you're not allowed to make an additional month. We, we have to make the lunar year sync up with the solar year, right? So depending on how many years cycle, we have, in the way it works right now, we have a 19-year cycle. Seven out of 19 years, we make it in a 13-month year, right? problem is you're not allowed to add an additional month once you reach the month of Nisan. Because the month of Nisan always has to be the first month of the year. So you can't add another month to Nisan. But it seems to be that's what he did. So why did Chizkiyo do that? We understand that Chacham didn't agree with it, but what was his reasoning? He couldn't have been so far off that he thought you're allowed to do that. El Shmuel. His mistake was in that which Shmuel says many years later. What does Shmuel say? The Amar Shmuel. Shmuel, the Amira says, Shmuel says, not just can you not add another month in Nisan, but even once you get to the 30th day of Adar, that the 30th day of Adar can either be the first day of Nisan or it could be the last day of Adar. Once you reach the 30th day of Adar, that could be the first day of Nisan, you can no longer add another Adar. It's already too late. Now, Chizkiyo did not agree to that. Therefore, you're not allowed to add another month at that point. So Chizkiyo did not agree to that point of Shmuel, to which the Chacham said, you were wrong. You're not allowed to add another month once you reach the 30th day of Adar, which is already could, in theory, be the first day of Nisan. Anybody who davens to Hashem and says and assumes that their, their own merit is going to save them, then Hashem tells him, your merit did not save you. What saved you is the merit of others. Anyone who is modest and says, my merit's not enough. I need to only ask, I'm going to ask to be answered based on the merit of others. Then Hashem tells him, you know what? Because of that modesty, I'm going to actually save you based on your own merit. What's the stories that, that sort of corroborate this? Moshe Rabbeinu asks Hashem for forgiveness after the Chate Egel, after the, the sin with the golden calf. And what did he say? 
He says to Hashem, remember Avram, Yitzchak, and Yisrael, Yaakov, Avadacha, your servants. And Hashem says later on, I, I actually forgave him, not based on their schos, not based on their marriage, but rather based on his own marriage. And Neymar, as it says, I would have destroyed them if not for Moshe, my Bechirei, Moshe, my chosen one. Ahmad Bepares, the fun of, he stood in a breach in front of me, to turn back my anger from destruction, from destroying the nation of Israel. So Hashem says, he was asking to be, for the nation of Israel to be forgiven based on the merit of the, the forefathers, right? The, the three patriarchs. But that's not why I forgave. I forgave because of him. Chizkiyo thought that his, his merit alone would be enough to get his forgiveness. He said, remember that which I've gone before you. He only speaks about himself. Hashem tells him, you know why I'm forgiving you? Not because of you, but because of others, because of the merit of your of, of others, right? As it says, and I shall shield this city, to be saved, for my sake, for the sake of David, my servant, but not for the sake of Chazkiyo. And this is that which Yeshua and Levi said. It, 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 it dovetails with his statement. What is that which is written? Behold, for peace, it is bitter for me, bitterness. Even when Hashem told him, it will be peaceful and I will rescind my decree, it is still bitter for Chizkiyo. Why was it bitter for him? Because he recognized now that the reason why it was rescinded is not because of due to his own merits. His own merits might not have warranted it and certainly not when he actually prayed based on his own merits. But it was rescinded based on the merits of his great-great-grandfather, David HaMelech. Now the Gemara goes into the previous statement that we were talking about. We started talking about the story of the Isha Shinamas. So we're, we're going to go talk a little bit about that based, you know, go through in Malachim, in kings that describe the story. So she says to her husband, let us make an Aliyah Kir, Kitana. A small Aliyah normally would mean a, a second story, an attic. A Kir would normally mean a wall. So the Gemara is now going to explain what exactly this means in this context. Rav Shmuel, Chadam Aliyah, Perua, Haisa. One of them says, indeed, there was a second story that had nothing covering it, and they covered it. That they had a large veranda outside their house. They split it up into two with a wall. If you say that what happened over here was that they had this veranda outside their house, then that's why it makes sense. You said kir, you said wall, because what you're talking about is you put a wall in the middle of the veranda, split the veranda into two, and the other half you let Elisha live in whenever he came by. But according to the Mandamar, understands that this is referring to the second story, their attic. My cure. What does cure mean in this context? Cure normally means wall. So what it means over here is shekirua, that they covered it over, right? That they put a ceiling on top of it. According to the one who understands that it's referring to the, the second story that they gave to him to dwell in, then it makes sense that she used the language of, we'll, get, we'll make him a small ceiling on the aliyah, on the second story. According to the one who understands that this is referring to this veranda. My aliyah, what does it mean, aliyah? What's the word aliyah? It's not an aliyah, it's the first story building now. The best type of building. Place for him there a bed, a table, a kise, and a chair, and a lamp to light inside there. Amr Abaya. Abaya says, says, Elisha. So if one wants to enjoy the benefit that people want to give him as a recognition for everything that he does for them, Elisha is a Nabi, and these people want to recognize that he's a man of God, and therefore they offer him certain 
things for free. So if you want to be like him and get things for free, okay, it's okay, you can do that. But if you do not want to benefit from people and you only want to get things directly from Hashem, do not take from them like Shmuel Haramasi, like the prophet Shmuel, who does not end up taking anything from anyone. The, the, when, when Shmuel Navi is accused of having done things for personal gain, he says, I never gained anything from them at all. He said, I traveled with my tent I never took anything from anyone. I always had everything with me. It was always my own stuff. I never took anything from anybody. To each place where he went, his house came with him. So you could have one attitude. I'm willing to take from people who want to acknowledge what I do for them. And you get another attitude. I'm not willing to take anything. I'm only going to sustain myself. And said to the woman, And um, and she said, I'm sorry, and he said to the woman, now I know that he is a holy man of God. From here we see that a woman recognizes more about the about who the, the man is, sorry, about who the guests are more than the husband does, right? Because the husband took a while to recognize that he's a man of God, but the wife had recognized this right away. How did she know that he is a holy man? person. One of them says because she never saw a fly on his table and never seen a fly on his table shows that clearly he is a holy person. She had put a bed, a bed sheet made out of linen on his bed. And she never saw any, you know, um, carry any um, semen on that bed. So that showed her that he's a very righteous man because he never had anything happen in the middle of the night. Kadeshu, so he's a holy man. Amr of Yisrael Chanina, Yisrael Chanina says, "Who Kadesh? Who Meshar say any Kadesh?" He says he was a holy man, but his attendant is not so holy. Why? By Yagesh Gechazi, Gechazi is the attendant of Elisha. The Yigash Gechazi and Gechazi approached her. Lahadafa. So the pasuk says Lahadafa, which would sound, it seems to be like a, a idea referring to to push her. Amr of Yisrael Chanina, Yisrael Chanina says Shachazah Bahayd Yafia. So Yisrael Chanina says that he grabbed onto Bahayd Yafia, onto her, the beauty of, onto the um her beauty. And basically what it's referring to is that he actually grabbed onto her breasts and therefore Elisha pushes him away. So you see, he's not such a righteous person if that's how, what he was willing to do. He was doing that to push her away, right? He wasn't just doing that out of fun, but he was, he was doing that to push her away, but that was not the right way to do things. And he also held on for a little too long, it sounds like. So, so the wife of the Isha Sashanama says that he, he passes by us often or continually. So he basically says that, oh, this language that she uses, Talmud, it's a reference to the fact that if you have a Talmud Chacham who you're able to allow to stay in your house and actually cause them benefit from your possessions, it's as if you've actually brought a carbon Talmud. It's the equivalent of actually bringing an offering because of how close it could bring you to Hashem through going through this process. The person should not stand in a high place in Davin. He should stand in a low place in Davin. Why? Because it says in Tehillim, From the low place I call out to you, Hashem. A man should not stand on a chair. And not on top of a stool. Not in a high place and pray. He should stand in a low place in Davin. Because there's no such thing as anything that is high in front of Hashem. So to go stand in a high place, that's not the right thing to do. You should stand in the lowest place possible to show that we recognize we are as nothing in front of Hashem. And also we say in Tehillim, 
from a low place, from the depths, I call out to you, Hashem. And prayer for the poor person, because I am wrapped. If when you're davening from an esra, your feet have to be put together in, in, in one line. It says, your feet, one foot, yeshara, straight. So it says that your feet have to be put together so tightly that it looks as if they're actually one foot. That, what is that which it says that you shall not eat on the blood? Do not eat food before you have prayed for your blood, right? Before you have prayed for your life, right? In other words, you're not supposed to eat food before you daven shachras. Anybody who eats and drinks for achach mispalal, anybody who eats and drinks and then afterwards he davens. On him, the Pasuk says, says, him I shall throw after goyacha, that your nation, it doesn't mean goyacha, it doesn't mean your nation, those who are haughty, right? In other words, Hashem is saying, he made himself more important than me. He, he took care of his own body before he actually davened, which should be his first priority in the morning. If that's what he did, he's going to get, you know, thrown after his haughtiness. In the Mishnah, we said, that Yeshua says, when are you permitted to, I'm sorry, not in the Mishnah, but in the, in the Mishnah, yeah, it wasn't the Mishnah. Yeshua says, you go daven Shema up until three hours into the day. Yehuda says the name of Shmuel, that Allah is like Yeshua, and you have up until three hours into the day, and not only up until Nate, not only up until sunrise, as the first opinion said. The mission says that anybody who davens Shema after three hours have passed, they haven't lost out. It says, what is this phrase of that you haven't lost? It says, what's come to teach you is you could say Shema, but you're not allowed to say the Birchas Shema. Once three hours have passed, you just say Shema by itself, but and you're not you're not going to fulfill your mitzvah the Raisa and the mitzvah from the Torah, and you no longer can actually say the bracha before and after Shema. Mesve, problem is, is my Ukva who's a Amira and saying that you're not supposed to say the bracha after three hours. Problem is, we're going to ask a question from a Brisa. It says in the Brisa that one who says Shema after three hours have passed, he hasn't lost out. He's just like a person who's reading the Torah. But he actually still says the two beforehand and one afterwards. This takes a Chizda statement. We take Chizda, who's an Amara, made the statement that you shouldn't say the after three hours, but the Brisa clearly says you do. So the Chizda statement is taken away. There are those who say, Amar of Chizda. What does it mean when he says Actually, that is what Rechizda said. Rechizda said that you have not, you, even though you're davening after three hours, you get to say Shema, and you even get to say the blessings before and after. One who davens after three hours have passed, he is, is not going to lose out. It will be like a man who is learning Torah, and he even gets to say the Rechaz Kirishma before and afterwards. Amar something very interesting. You can actually infer from the Mishnah that if someone says the Kriyashma in its proper time, it's actually greater than learning Torah. Why? If someone says Kriyashma after the three hours have passed, he hasn't lost out. He's like someone who's reading Torah. Implication is you're the equivalent of just reading Torah if you're even saying it after the three hours have passed. You're no longer fulfilling your mitzvah. But but if you actually read it in the proper time, it's other, it's even greater. The mitzvah, the, the schar, the merit for doing so is even greater than actually learning Torah. Okay, let's start the last 
the third Mishnah, the end of the page. Shammai says, Shammai says that at night when people are saying Shema, they should lean over and read the Shema. And when they're saying Shema in the morning, they should be standing. What, what does he understand to make him say that this is what we should do? It says, and when you lie down, when you stand up. So he understands is referring to the act of lying down, referring to the act of standing up. Right, Hesilla and Hesilla says, you, anybody should read it exactly as they wish to read it. They either standing, either sitting, doesn't make any difference. And it says, and when you are going in the, as you are walking on the path. So there's no halacha that you have to be sitting, you have to be standing. Hesilla understands that it's not referring to how you should be positioned physically when you are saying Shema, rather it's referring to these time periods. How do we define the time period? The time period when people are lying down, time period when people are getting up. Rather, it's referring to the time period that people are lying down, the time period that people are standing up. Amr of Tarfin, of Tarfin says, I was one time coming down the path, and it was towards nightfall, and I was, or, or nightfall, and I was reclining as I was doing it, the same way that Beishame said that you should do it. And it ended up being a danger to my life because of the list, because of some highway men. They said to him, Indeed, it makes sense that you should have this occur to you, that you should get robbed or threatened, you know, to an inch of your life. Because you went with the opinion of Beishama and not with the opinion of Beishama. And today we pass in like Beishama, and therefore you could do it either way. But if you are standing when you start, right, and you're in the middle stand, you happen to walk around the shoulder, you're standing while you say, you should not sit down right before Shema. Even though you're allowed to sit, you're allowed to stand. It's all good. But if you sit right before you say Shema, it will look like you're sitting right before you say Shema in the morning because you want to, I'm sorry, you're sitting right before you say Shema at night because you want to do like Beishamai. So therefore that you shouldn't do. So today you can do whatever you want. Just don't sit down right before Shema. Don't stand up right before Shema. Okay, good night, everyone.